Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. He was doing everything he could to stay away from her, not answering her phone calls, and she must have gotten so frustrated. She said. You know, I can't get learn to answer the phone. I said, well, Kathy, he's probably, you know, he knows you're married and everything like that. She goes, I'm going to go find him. You know, I have to track him down. She was unstoppable. You could not stop her. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. We are officially back from France. We're a little bit rusty, but I think that we're going to power through this episode. 100%. And rust is just a state of mind, and we are going to (laughs) transcend. Absolutely. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind everybody, if you're not part of our Patreon, our Firsty Underground, please join us over there. If you are looking for more true crime content and you are not getting it anywhere else because there's not that many great true crime podcasts out there, we have one full episode every single week over on our Patreon, plus lots of bonus content, video content, all that kind of stuff. So we'd love to see you over there. Yeah. And we just want to take a moment. We just came back from essentially our first vacation we've ever taken since we started this podcast. Yeah. And we came back refreshed, revived, and just super grateful. All of you listening, all of you who tell your friends, all of you who leave reviews or encourage others to, we're just so grateful to have you. Grateful you're here. And especially those who join Patreon, we're especially grateful for that because it gets, it allows us the opportunity to explore cases we can't necessarily do here on our main feed. But regardless, we love you guys and thanks for being here. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. The FBI reported that out of all the people who were arrested for murder in 2019, 88% of them were men. The same year, 96% of all people arrested for rape were men. And 76% of all people arrested for aggravated assault were, you guessed it, men. In today's society, we're used to men hurting people. And in true crime, we're used to men hurting women. It's normalized. It's expected. And as a general whole, men react more violently, more often, And the statistics prove it. 
But women also commit violent crimes. And even if women only represent 12% of all arrests for murders, that's still nearly a thousand people, a thousand women who were believed to have killed. It's almost harder to catch and prosecute a woman for committing a violent crime simply because we don't expect it. We view women as caring, nurturing, and warm. They're our mothers, our sisters, and our caregivers. We're biased to think that women do no harm, not intentionally anyway, but some do. A small group of women have killed before, and an even smaller group of women have killed multiple times. We call them Black Widows. Even the moniker Black Widow sounds sneaky, covert, rare, which makes sense. You'd never think your life would end at the hands of a woman, but against all odds, it can happen. And in today's case, it happens twice. So today's case begins on April 17th of 1989. Around this time, the student-led Tiananmen Square protests began in Beijing. And in movies, Charlie Sheen's sports comedy film Major League led the box office. As for music, Madonna's controversial song Like a Prayer topped the charts. And many people were upset that her music video for Like a Prayer portrayed a black saint, a mixed race couple, and systemic racism within the police system. And as a result of this music video, Pepsi ended up dropping Madonna as their spokesperson. But I don't know. I'm glad I drank Coke now. That is dark. Pepsi, do better. Pepsi has made some very weird decisions when you think about it. Like the Kendall Jenner commercial? (laughs) Yeah. Like that was a blunder. Yeah, I don't know about that. The setting for today's case is Woodland, Alabama, and Woodland is an incredibly small rural town on Alabama's eastern border. Today, Woodland has a population of only 222 people. But back in 1989, when our case took place, it was home to only 180 people. Woodland is bookended by two much larger metropolises. About 95 miles to the west is Birmingham, Alabama, and to the east is Atlanta, Georgia, which is only about 77 miles away. And although Woodland isn't necessarily a bedroom community, some people do make the 90-minute commute to these bigger cities for work each and every day. Our first degree for today's case is named Robin, and in the late 80s, Robin worked in Atlanta, Georgia. She was a 20-something receptionist for an air conditioning company. And one of the AC technicians for that company was a man named Peter Paul Simonowski Jr. That is a mouthful. He went by Pete, and he was in his 30s. One of the workmen there, his name was Pete, and he was like, Super chill. I mean, very chill. Cute, big blue eyes, long brown hair, and just as chill as he could be. And so we chatted because we were kind of close in age. Robin and Pete got along really well. He was a nice guy who was easy to talk to. So naturally, Robin and Pete chit-chatted about their lives, their kids, and Robin's ex, who wasn't paying child support. But the day after Robin met Pete, Pete's wife, whose name was Kathy, picked up the phone and gave Robin a call. And on this call, Kathy basically warned Robin to stay away from her husband. I think that Pete talked about me. Most wives and girlfriends, their man comes home and they mention a girl in the office and say something personal about them. You're kind of like, mm-hmm, all right, so I need to keep an eye on that. And then like the next day, I got a phone call and I was like, hello. And she goes, hi, my name is Kathy and I'm Pete's wife. And I understand that you're not getting child support for your daughter. And my husband felt so sorry for you. Well, he doesn't pay child support for his daughter either. I just wanted to let you know that. And that's how I met Kathy. I honestly don't know how I would react if I got a call like that. It's so... From like, you just met this guy and you're getting a threatening call immediately. I mean, you've got to think that obviously something is going on in that relationship where this woman is on guard. Yeah. I mean, with no 
rhyme or reason, reason, right? It's obviously something's happened before or something. But either way, at first, Robin was put off by Kathy's rudeness. I would be too. And Robin even considered saying something like, hey, let's meet up and settle this the old-fashioned way. And honestly, we can't blame her. It's super weird for your colleague's wife to call you like that out of the blue, especially to warn you to stay away from your husband when you haven't done anything wrong. So around this time, Robin was going through a lot of transitions in her life. She'd recently broken up with her longtime partner, and she was feeling a little bit more introverted than usual. So when Kathy started talking at full speed to Robin, she listened. And after a while, the two women kind of connected, and Robin found herself kind of actually liking Kathy. Normally, I would have fired right back at her. Hey, do you want to go to the nearest parking lot and talk about this? Because we really can do that if you want. And then she just started talking, and she was fun. And then she said, you know, you should come to my property. I have horses and chickens and everything like that. It's really cool. We could hang out. And I was like, okay. And I was just in a really weird space. You know, I was like by myself. I was super quiet. I wasn't really interacting with anybody because, you know, I was a single mom. I still needed to go to work and get over this heartbreak and she just had a way of catching you up in her conversation you know just talks a whole lot almost like a verbal assault i was like what the hell and this was when kathy dropped a huge bomb on robin because wait you have a daughter right what is she two or three and i said yeah and she goes i don't know i've got to think about that for a minute my son was killed right in front of me he was about three years old we were playing in the front yard it was a complete accident and the lady that hit him was just an older lady no speeding or anything i was so shocked i think that's why i just ignored all the other behavior even though the details of this tragic accident aren't available we did verify that on june 17th of 1982 kathy's four-year-old son died in conyers georgia kathy would have been 24 years old and her husband pete would have been 29. I can't imagine going through the pain of losing a child like that. I mean, devastating. And on the other hand, Robin was stunned that Kathy was opening up to her so quickly about something so personal. Yeah, Kathy was being extremely vulnerable to Robin, and that really resonated with Robin. She felt like she could trust Kathy. And plus, at the time, Robin could really use a gal pal. So she and her daughter went to Kathy's place, and they hung out with Kathy and Kathy's preteen daughter. And the four of them really had a blast. I took my daughter over there and we had like a wonderful time. She had like 10 acres. There's a big pond and it was just me, my daughter, her and her daughter who was like 10. And she was just a very natural, almost hippie type. It was just her and I and our daughters. And we were just in our bathing suit bottoms in the woods, in nature, playing in the pond. It was just so natural, like feminine nature when her daughter just came flying down the country road barebacked on a massive horse that was probably the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and I just felt myself really 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 relaxing even though that's not anything that I would have ever done again like I said I was in a weird space and why not anything was better than feeling nothing I just thought she was just a really quirky woman whose child had just been killed and I was just grateful for her for sharing her home and her animals and her life with me that day. As Robin got to know Kathy, she started to realize something was, let's call it off, about her new friend. 
Maybe it was just a woman's intuition, but Robin could tell that Kathy wasn't all there. For example, Kathy didn't seem to be a big fan of her husband, Pete, her own husband, which is strange considering not only that Kathy was married to him and all, but also remember the call she'd made to Robin, that very possessive (laughs) call to stay away from him. So she didn't even seem to like him all that much. It seemed kind of maybe like a control thing. But from Robin's perspective, Kathy had been mentally checked out of that marriage for a while. Yeah. And maybe losing a young child obviously had negatively impacted Kathy and Pete's relationship. You know, it must have been incredibly challenging for any couple to navigate. I can't even imagine. But no matter how it happened, Kathy started cheating on Pete with another man. And she wasn't really secretive about it like you would kind of think one would be. She told Robin about her affair very early on in their relationship. The next time I saw her, she was just was like a couple of weeks later. She was trying to teach me how to ride a horse. And that's when she started telling me that she was having an affair. She was just tired of Pete. He wasn't exciting anymore. He didn't do anything anymore. And, and he was just so quiet. I was confused by it because he was hot. He was really good looking. I mean, like startling good looking, but he was so chill and just stayed to himself. And I just, you know. I'm 23. I figured that's just the way it was. And she's crazy. Maybe he was tired of her talking all the time. Kathy was seeing a man named Robert Lavorne Heron Jr. Lavorne is what everyone called him. So he was from Georgia, but he lived in Alabama an hour away. He was a contractor and a heavy equipment operator. And Pete, Kathy's husband, had hired Lavorne to do some work for him. And that's how Kathy and Lavorne met. Pete had hired Lavorne. And so she goes, so I started having an affair with him and, and he's so hot and all that. And I was like, oh, okay, Kathy. I was like, you need to be careful with that. But even though Kathy didn't seem quite right at times uh, with the whole cheating on her husband, with the Lavorne and everything, and, you know, the lack of boundaries that seemed pretty evident, she was also this outgoing, beautiful woman who kind of seemed larger than life. Kathy was a whirlwind, and it was fun for Robin to live in that moment with her. I think that we all have had somebody like Kathy in our lives, and you know exactly what that's like. Yeah, the party friend. Yep. Like, friends in your life, you have different friends for different things. Yeah. And Kathy is like an exciting, dangerous friend. There's always something going on. There's always some drama. There's there's chaos surrounding her, but like, it's exciting. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting to watch from the sidelines. It's like a traffic accident you can't look away from. Exactly. I was a little intimidated by her, but it was cool. It was something different to do. She was interesting. She was very pretty. She was really pretty. If I hadn't been in such a sort of defeated space, I probably would not have pursued a relationship with her. She talked a lot and I already knew she was off. She just like took a hold of the relationship and just ran with it. And I just kind of went with it. And then the next time I saw her, when I found out that I don't like horses and horses don't like me, that was about the last time I was over there. After a while, our first degree Robin found her footing once again. She'd recovered from her breakup and had started dating and was feeling better. Robin no longer needed the excitement that Kathy brought to her life as a crutch or a distraction especially since it was becoming more and more apparent that Kathy was a loose cannon, a true wild card. So Robin let her friendship with Kathy fizzle out. 
And when Robin stopped working at the air conditioning company, she also didn't run into Kathy's husband, Pete, anymore either. So this is kind of a nice way to facilitate a really good, clean breakup with her friendship with Kathy. Until one day, curiosity started to gnaw at her, and Robin decided to give Kathy a call, you know, just to kind of see what she was up to. So I didn't accept any calls or answer the phone with her. And after a couple of months, when you bought a new address book, you had to write all the old addresses and numbers in it. And I came across her name, and I was like, let me check her. But Kathy didn't pick up the phone. Someone unexpected did. And what that unexpected person told Robin changed everything. I was disgusted that she did that to his kids. I I could not believe she had done that to his kids. I I couldn't believe as a mother, because she did love her daughter, and she was very upset about what happened with her son, and she was good with animals and everything like that. So it's not like she was just like without feeling I just could not believe that she had done that to his kids. What was going on? What had Kathy done and to whom? Was Pete in danger? Was Lavorne? What exactly had happened? So to answer all these questions, you know the drill. We got to go back. Catherine Marie Dudrow was born in Manassas, Virginia on December 16th of 1957. Her father was named Newman and her mother, Catherine. And that's probably why that she went by Kathy to help distinguish her from her mom. And with four brothers and a sister, Kathy was one of six children and she spent her childhood in Virginia. Right. And Kathy's father was an engineer for the U.S. Army. But when Kathy was four years old in 1962, he died in a car crash at the age of 58. According to the Associated Press, his Jeep was hit from behind by a tractor trailer on a highway in Leesburg, Virginia. So to help support their family, Kathy's newly widowed mother became a seamstress. Later, Kathy's mother would also become an ordained minister. And there wasn't a lot of information available about Kathy's growing up life. But from the outside looking in, things appeared pretty normal. Sure, her parents were a little older when Kathy was born. Her mom was 39, which is not old. Not <laughs> Thinking old. About, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be 39 in a few years. But her dad was 54. And as we mentioned, Kathy's father died when she was young. But then Kathy's mother passed away at the age of 100 in 2018. Friends and family spoke very fondly of her. In Kathy's mother's obituary, it states that she never knew a stranger and that she was an avid baker. But who knows what went on behind closed doors, you know? And hey, maybe Kathy was just an anomaly in an otherwise normal, happy family. But that's not normally how it is. No. So on July 16th of 1978, 20-year-old Kathy married 25-year-old Pete in Ruston, Virginia. So Pete was originally from New York, and just like Kathy, his father was also in the military. And throughout the course of their relationship, Kathy and Pete had three children, including the son that we mentioned earlier, who sadly passed away when he was a toddler. Around 1986, 34-year-old Pete hired Robert Lavorne Heron Jr. to do some construction work. And that's when 29-year-old Kathy and 33-year-old Lavorne began their affair. Kathy would later testify that she and Pete were separated at the time of this affair. Frankly, that doesn't seem to be how Robin remembers Kathy and Pete's relationship at all. But sometimes relationships are messy things. Right. And maybe Kathy and Pete were having marital problems. Maybe they weren't. But either way, when LaVorne came into the picture, let's just say in another time period, their Facebook relationship would have said it's complicated. (laughs) 
When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Robert LaVorne Heron Jr. was born on January 19th of 1951 to his father, Robert Sr., and his mother, Evelyn, in Carolington, Georgia. Like Kathy, LaVorne was also one of six siblings. And also like Kathy, he probably went by LaVorne to help identify himself since he had a parent with the same first name. LaVorne's father owned and operated a bulldozer and land clearing operation, which sounds a lot like what LaVorne did in his adulthood. And it's entirely possible that LaVorne was following in his father's footsteps. At some point, LaVorne moved to Alabama and married a woman named Veronica S. Reeves. Ooh, that's a... Veronica Reeves. I know. Veronica S. Reeves. Love it. Sounds like it's from a movie. And uh, according to our first degree Robin, LaVorne and Veronica had several kids together. 
But on January 11th of 1984, Veronica died at the age of 29, two years before Lavorne began his affair with Kathy. According to what Kathy told Robin, so this has to be taken with a grain of salt, Veronica died by suicide. But we couldn't verify the means of Veronica's death with any additional sources. So again, for good measure, grain of salt, people. What was actually told to me by Kathy was that the kids found her hanging in her bedroom from suicide. I was like, oh my God, Kathy, that's terrible. So he was a widower. I was like, that's terrible. Those poor kids. She goes, I know. So earlier you heard how Robin warned Kathy to be careful with LaVorne and the whole affair, but maybe somebody needed to warn LaVorne to be careful with Kathy. After all, his wife had died only two years before. So he obviously might have been feeling vulnerable or lonely or both. When you think about it, though, he was in a weird space, too. He had just found his wife hanging by suicide a year before that. Would he have done what he did if that hadn't happened to him? I don't know anything about him. He might have been an Alabama playboy. I don't know. Based on what Kathy told Robin, it seemed like LaVorne had the wherewithal not to get too involved with Kathy. After all, he was very careful to make sure he didn't get Kathy pregnant. But according to Robin, Kathy was determined to get pregnant with LaVorne's child, whether LaVorne wanted her to or not. She goes, he's really weird about his biological fluids. Like, he won't, you know, ejaculate in me or anything like that. He says he gets really grossed out. And I was like, huh. She said, I'm trying to get pregnant. I was like, Kathy, you need to leave that Alabama boy alone. He obviously doesn't, you know, want to be with you. But Kathy didn't listen to Robin, and she became even more obsessed with LaVorne. And it's crazy. It's always the ones that don't want you that you can't seem to let go of. Anyway, shortly after LaVorne and Kathy's affair began, LaVorne realized that he wanted absolutely nothing to do with Kathy. Not a casual relationship, not a friends with benefits. He wanted nothing. And as soon as LaVorne was done doing the work that Pete had hired him for, LaVorne did his best to ghost Kathy. But Kathy wasn't having it. Once he was done with the job, he was doing everything he could to stay away from her, not answering her phone calls. Did we even have caller ID back then? Usually uh, when a guy didn't want to be contacted or, or, or was avoiding a girl back then, they just simply didn't answer the phone for like a week or two. Or somebody else would answer and always tell them they were gone. And she must have gotten so frustrated. And that's when she started stealing Pete's van. Yep, you heard that right. Kathy wasn't going to let LaVorne leave her. So she stole her own husband's van, drove an hour from Georgia to where LaVorne lived in Alabama, and stalked him. And she would do this repeatedly over the course of about a year. She said, you know, I can't get LaVorne to answer the phone. I said, well, Kathy, he's probably, you know, he knows you're married and everything like that. She goes, I'm going to go find him. And like the next day, Pete called in and said, Robin, I can't come in to work. Kathy has stolen my van. I think she's in Alabama. He wasn't even angry. He was more embarrassed that he was having to call into work. That happened a couple of times. And so maybe the second time she met up with me in Pete's van at my house. And she was telling me, she goes, you know, I have to track him down and The next time I talked to her, she had stolen the van again, and she called me, and she was laughing. She had found him. He was grading a property out in the middle of nowhere, and she popped out from behind a bush 
and scared him so badly he almost fainted. And she was laughing about it. And I was like, okay, this is too crazy for me. I'm just like dipping out. She was unstoppable. You could not stop her. So if you're wondering why LaVorne didn't just call the cops on Kathy, well, first, he might have. There's just no way of really knowing all these years later. And second, there is a huge stigma against men who are facing harassment like this from women. To this very day, people don't understand how a woman could possibly threaten a man, especially a strong tractor-driving good old boy from Alabama. Even Robin didn't fully comprehend the danger of the situation until it was too late. There was no such thing as stalking back then. I'm sure there was, but that wasn't in the public mind. We didn't know anything about it. You know, it was just like, you know, she's a crazy bitch. You just have to be careful around her. It was that kind of thing when people behave that way. And her behavior was just so crazy to me. So help me God, I laughed at first because I was like, well, that's what happens when you mess with things that don't belong to you, like another man's wife. I thought it was crazy that bothered me, but I didn't think it was like dangerous. So I felt bad about that because I think also a lot of times men don't get the compassion that they need. This is such a pervasive problem. According to Psychology Today, only 13% of men who are being stalked will report their stalker. For comparison's sake, nearly 28% of women report their stalkers. Experts believe that men underreport stalking because they're afraid that the police won't take them seriously. And because of that, men endure stalking for significantly longer than women. And of course, it's possible that even Kathy's husband, Pete, was another one of Kathy's victims. Maybe that's why he put up with so much of her odd behavior. Because perhaps it wasn't just odd. It might have been domestic abuse. Maybe Pete had that in common with LaVorne. Neither of them could escape Kathy. And now that I think about it, maybe that's why he wasn't particularly angry about the affair, because he was aware of it. There was something wrong with her. And I bet Pete was just so chill because he was just trying not to trigger her because she could get angry very fast. Kathy's obsession with LaVorne was so overwhelming that Robin knew she needed to distance herself from Kathy. And this time, for real. I think I just thought, well, she's too crazy for me. I am moving on. And I just got busy with my own life. And I thought that was the end of it. But that wasn't the end of it. Because as we mentioned before the rewind, approximately two months later, Robin started getting curious about Kathy and called her house just to check in and catch up. But Kathy didn't pick up the phone. Her husband, Pete, did. And he told Robin some stunning news. I called and Pete answered the phone. He goes, oh my God, she killed Laverne. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, she stole my van, walked into his house and shot him in front of his children and his parents. I was like, oh, my God. I was just, like, freaking out. I just, like, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. 
IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. On April 17th of 1989, 31-year-old Kathy Marie Simonowski shot 38-year-old Robert LaVorne Heron Jr. with a 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle. Authorities found LaVorne's body in the driveway of a friend's home in Woodland, Alabama, shortly after 10 p.m. Robin was floored by this news. She never expected Kathy to do something like this. After all, Kathy seemed like she had the world in the palm of her hand. She was beautiful, she had a good family, and a great husband. But Kathy's fixation on LaVorne had taken over her entire life. And Kathy made certain that it took over LaVorne's life, too. I guess her life was just spiraling completely out of control. I mean, he was terrified of her there at the end. And just, I don't know what it is, something in her head. Laverne wasn't Laverne anymore. It was something that needed to be destroyed because it was driving her crazy. Although the details of the investigation aren't available, within two days of LaVorne's murder, Kathy was arrested and charged. So the authorities must have known right away that Kathy was the killer. Kathy was held in the Randolph County Jail at a $40,000 bond, which she couldn't pay, so she remained there later until her court date. Kathy's trial took place a year later in the spring of 1990. She faced a minimum possible sentence of 20 years in prison. In the courtroom, Kathy's defense counsel claimed that she was insane. According to psychiatrists who testified for her defense, Kathy suffered from postpartum depression and PMS at the time that she shot LaVorne. And it is true that Kathy had given birth to a child only a few months before she killed LaVorne. Given the timing of his birth and the actions that would follow, it kind of does beg the question as to who fathered this baby now that we're talking about it. Right. I mean, this whole thing is so sad and so messy, but either way, according to the Aniston Star, District Attorney Ray Clark said that there wasn't actually any factual evidence to support that Kathy's mental health had caused her to murder LaVorne. They believe that Kathy did know right from wrong when she pulled that trigger. And even though Kathy might have had some personality problems, the prosecution believed that they weren't severe enough to support a plea of insanity. On April 20th of 1990, Kathy was convicted of murder by the Randolph County Circuit Court. In response, her defense attorney told journalists, I guess the jury just didn't buy it which makes it sound like the defense attorney didn't really buy it either. And on May 23rd of 1990, Kathy was sentenced to life in prison. But Kathy's reign of terror wasn't over just yet. Because after 13 years in prison, Kathy was released on parole. I thought she was gone. I mean, why wouldn't she be doing life? I I thought she was gone. I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of the story right there. Following Kathy's sentencing, she appealed her case, but she ended up filing the appeal too late, so it failed. Next, in 1993, Kathy received a degree from the Central Alabama Community College. Then, about a decade later, she was released from prison in February of 2002. And this was probably from good behavior, but that's just our speculation. After that, Kathy moved to Andalusia, Alabama, and she remained there for about 10 years. During those 10 years, Kathy completed her parole requirements and paid all of her court costs. So by the time 2012 rolled around, Kathy was a completely free woman, and she seemed fully reformed. 
that was until December of 2012, when she shot her boyfriend. Gerald Eugene Palmer was born around 1944. On March 16th of 1962, 17-year-old Gerald married 18-year-old Marilyn Ann Lanning in Onslow, North Carolina. But that relationship didn't work out, and in the mid-70s, they were divorced. But Gerald wasn't destined to be alone forever, because by the end of 1978, 34-year-old Gerald married 25-year-old Arvin Doreen Lowe in Winnetta, Florida. That same year, on September 8th of 78, Gerald was convicted of sexual battery. Not great. The incident had occurred about a year prior, in December of 1977. And the victim, very sadly, was a family member. Gerald's sentence was 10 years probation and $312 in court costs, which is about $1,400 in today's money. And we're not sure what happened to Gerald's second wife, but by December of 2012, local newspapers indicated that 68-year-old Gerald was in a romantic relationship with 54-year-old Kathy Marie Simonowski. And on the afternoon of Thursday, December 6th of 2012, Kathy was at Gerald's wood-framed home in southern Alabama. And for some reason or another, she shot him multiple times during a domestic dispute. And then, according to the Randolph leader, she turned the gun on herself. Kathy died at the scene. But surprise, Gerald survived. He was actually the one who called 911. And when the authorities arrived, they found Gerald and Kathy lying prone in the doorway of Gerald's home. Things looked grim at first, but less than a week after the shooting, the Randolph leader reported that Gerald would make a full recovery. And no law enforcement official or news outlet has ever confirmed why Kathy shot Gerald. But our first-degree Robin wonders if Gerald was trying to end his relationship with Kathy, because that is exactly what happened with LaVorne. I can't help but wonder, was he trying to break up with her? Is that what he was doing? Is that why she tried to kill him? Because that's the only time I saw her be really insane was over Laverne. But others speculated that Kathy was the victim of domestic violence. When the news article first came out, a woman named Leah Snell commented on a related Facebook post. She claimed that Gerald used to be her uncle and that he was, quote, a psycho ex-Marine who was known for regularly abusing Kathy. So clearly there's some bad blood between Leah and Gerald here because Leah suggested that in this whole thing, a setup had occurred and that Gerald had actually shot himself so that he could frame Kathy. Again, these are all grains of salt. People on the internet have access to grind. We have no idea if that possibility is valid or not, because the police obviously did investigate. This is speculation from invested parties. We're not saying it's true. We're not saying it's untrue. And after doing this kind of work for so long, I mean it when I say like nothing is off the table and nothing would surprise me. Yeah. Any case, people are always like, hey, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. Unless you were there and you're the perpetrator or the victim, like you literally don't know what happened. No. And things can seem so rhetorically compelling. Like I always think about the staircase as an example. Like it's the most ambiguous case. And you're like, she could have fallen down the stairs. He could have murdered her. Both are like 100% possible to me. I know. I That's something (laughs) I can never make my mind up about that. You're like, or is it the owl? I don't know. Anything would make sense at this point. Yeah. Because we're just never going to know because- Everything is so nuanced and abstract, but we digress. Either way, it's hard for Robin to see Kathy in a situation where there was ongoing abuse. So when, you know, Robin heard that, it's like she, Kathy, she knew would never have put up with that. Unless she just so fundamentally changed it was broken, Kathy would have never put up with that, not for a second. To me, it makes more sense that maybe he was trying to break up with her. 
Because if he was beating her, why would she kill herself? So today, Gerald is still living in Alabama, and of course, Kathy is gone. Kathy's ex-husband, Pete, died a year after Kathy in 2013. And Robin wonders if the loss of Kathy's young son all those years ago was the catalyst that triggered this downward spiral. But she also sees how grief can't be an excuse for hurting others. It's clear that Kathy was always dangerous and capable of what she has done, even if she's very good at hiding it. At first, I thought that her seeing her son being run over in front of her drove her crazy. And even after I found out when Pete told me that she had killed Laverne, I thought, okay, it was the child. But we're talking 35 years later, and two of my family members, two women, have lost their children. And the thing I noticed about both of them is no matter how devastated they were, they never changed who they fundamentally were. So this was in Kathy before. They didn't all of a sudden change into violent people doing crazy things. I think it was in her already to just be driven so mad, so crazy that she had to do it. I don't understand it. We live in a world of complexities, multitudes, and layers, where two seemingly opposing truths can exist at the exact same time, like Jack and I were just saying. Both right and wrong can stand side by side simultaneously. For example, someone who is a total fucking asshole doesn't deserve to die, because the line between good and evil just isn't that clear. And then, of course, there's today's perpetrator, Kathy. It could be true that when Kathy watched her child die, she was forced to deal with irreparable trauma. But it could also be true that Kathy was never emotionally stable, always capable of this kind of violence, and that she always used violence as a solution to her problems. And that there was a monster inside of her from the very beginning, whether she lost the child traumatically or not, and that she was an abuser, a stalker, and a killer. And of course, Kathy had her own conflicting truths because she repeatedly hurt those she claimed to love, following them, terrifying them, murdering them, all while insisting that she wanted the best for them. But no matter what contradictions the universe gives us, we can't take each other's lives. And if we forget that, well, we'd forget everything. huge thank you to Robin for being our first agreed guest for today's episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at thefirstagreedpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook. We're talking true crime all the time. Please join our Patreon if you're looking for extra bonus content and come around tomorrow. We'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feet. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by the incredible Andrea Marshbank. Sources for this episode are Ancestry, The Aniston Star, Court Documents, Find a Grave, Dignity Memorial, Potomac News, WOPP, Andalusa Star News, WSFA 12 News, Schenectady Gazette, Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, The Tampa Tribune, Psychology Today, The CDC, The FBI, The National Library of Medicine, and The Randolph Leader. And, and as always, our first read guest is always our largest source. I was shocked, you know. They were always such a good team, so successful. But to do something like that, to exceed their budget... While being over budget might not be a crime, it can disrupt workflows. 
With Monday.com, you and the team can be sure that you're all in sync. All the data, latest updates, files, and budgets are visible to everyone, so you won't miss a thing. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.